So thank you very much for downloading episode two of The Correspondence. We had a fantastic response to the first one, and I want to thank everyone for all their positive comments around it, and also keep them coming. And I'm, this is a project which I'm really starting to enjoy and look forward to doing more of. So here comes episode two at you right now. I'm sitting here with Mr. Cody Copeland. Cody Copeland is a longtime friend of mine and a colleague, but he's also the author of the new Moon Guides guidebook to the state of Oaxaca. Oaxaca State is a very mountainous, mysterious, and little known in many parts region of Mexico in the south. And Cody has spent the past six months to a year traveling this entire state. And it sounds to me like a really interesting experience and something that I really wanted to get into. So Cody, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So Oaxaca, it's a state which I think certainly is misunderstood. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. Oaxaca has been misunderstood for quite a while now. It's, um, I mean, you can see it in stuff like like the old old ways of like mezcal tours and, and, and kind of like this old style of tourism that was here that kind of just like took you around, got you drunk, took you to some tourist place on the highway and then didn't give you much culture, didn't really tell you where things were coming from. And, and so I feel like tourism kind of waned a little bit because of that. And in recent years, especially with like way more interest in, in mezcal and part of the industry of mezcal is knowing where it comes from you know, having, you know, you can say Pedro Martinez made this mezcal or something, you know. So, like, that's, it's really, I think, getting to know the customs, the people, where things come from. I think that's becoming a lot more popular now. Um, Absolutely, because, I mean, the two of us are actually in Oaxaca City at the moment for a simple reason that we're down here doing a series of stories, and one of which is mezcal itself and how... The, the mezcal industry, mezcal is the, the largest growing spirit in the world, isn't it? And But in many cases, that has left the traditional artisans behind. Uh, yeah, it, it did. It became big business, um, and, and some big brands came out, like uh, Beneva is one that you'll see on the highway going out to, when you go to Mitla and Yerbelagua and these places. It kind of did have this, this commercial boom for a while, and then, but was still very misunderstood. Um, you know, like when I first started hearing about mezcal, people said, I guess because the name sounds similar to mescaline, you know, people say, oh, you hallucinate, you trip out drinking this stuff. And, and you don't, you don't. I mean, it's a different drunk than other, than other alcohols, but it's not like that. So a lot, of, a lot of these smaller palenqueros, as they're called, the guys who, who grow maguey and, and make the mezcal, um, I, there, there is a lot more focus on them these days than, than previously, but. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, traditionally, historically, mezcal has been kind of forgotten. I think that's one of the interesting things that I've seen in, like, not a, out of Oaxaca, is that the culture is something that people, I think, really can admire because it seems so mystic and it seems so magical. But you, having traveled the whole state, you know, there are places in Washington, D.C., where you can go to a mezcal bar and they're trying to imitate this stuff and make it as authentic as possible. But you have seen the entire state. So. You know, what can you tell? What can you tell people about? You know, just what Oaxacan culture really comes down to. Um, well, like uh, let's let's keep talking about the theme of um, of you know the, these mezcals that that 
brands want to have a, a tiny town's name on the label, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that, that speaks for Oaxaca in general. It's the, the geography of Oaxaca with, with really rugged mountains um, in the north and the south and just, just lots of different climates and, and elevations and, and vegetation zones and, and really hard places to get in and out of without highways and stuff like Oaxaca has that, that regional isolation of people has just created so many distinct traditions, customs, recipes, uh, art crafts and stuff like that. So, um, and, and so really like what I've noticed about Oaxaca. So for example, I did this that chapter on Oaxaca city and I'm walking around and I've been, I'm going to these places. I've walked these streets so much, so many other times before this job, but it still finds ways to surprise me. And that's like every corner I turn in Oaxaca, there's something new that I never would have expected that I never would have thought up myself and that I'm not really going to be able to find anywhere else in the world. Oaxaca is just so full of culture, traditions, old and new recipes that predate ceramics, ceramics traditions that date back in the same town that date back thousands of years. Well, that's one of the things that Mexico is so varied in that way, because if, if you've never been to Mexico, you probably come at it with the, the idea or the stereotype of like guys in sombreros drinking tequila, you know, sleeping in the midday sun, that sort of on dirt roads. Then once you come to Mexico, you, you begin to see how varied the country is and you start to think of the different states within Mexico as different countries, it, almost in a way, in the way that, you know, Baja California has n is, is not in any way similar to Cancun, for yeah. example. But then once you get into the States, and specifically, I think, in the South, where these communities and these regional people are so isolated in their own mountain communities, that you perhaps begin to see countries within the state of Oaxaca. Yeah, yeah. And, and like listening to you describe it that way, you could almost describe Oaxaca itself as a microcosm for Mexico itself. Like, you know, for example, there's, there's so many statistics of like, Mexico has the highest diversity of chilies species in the yeah. world, but and then Oaxaca has the most out of Mexico. And there's, you know, yeah. there's so many, especially with biodiversity, so many statistics like that. And so, yeah, that's one thing I've loved about getting to know Mexico in general is that you you go to one place and you learn the vocabulary, then you're like, I got some, I, my Spanish is so good. And then you go to a different state and they don't, and then you know, people say things differently. People have a different vocabulary, yeah. um, and it's it. And you know, different food or the same food has a different name up there, things like that. So we were yesterday because in, in talking about those different countries and cultures within Oaxaca, yesterday we found ourselves in the Mixteca, which is this remote region in the north of the state, very mountainous, very rugged, where we were covering a story about traditional local chocolate. But it's also while we were there, it was mentioned to us that it's also the poorest region in Mexico, and I, that I would dare to say that that makes it perhaps the poorest region in North America. And vast rates of, high rates at least, of, my ex, uh, of external migration, people leaving this country. I think that one of our interviewees suggested that as much as 300 people a week are leaving this region. You know, mm -hmm. What can you tell us about that? Well, actually, uh, the Mixtec people are actually quite quite well known for their ability to migrate and and to stay together as a culture as a as a as a people um, as a social unit and uh, so uh, you know researchers have, have 
have used terms like transnational, transborder to describe them, and they are, they're one of the biggest indigenous groups in the United States. So yeah, it's, 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 it might be my favorite region in Mexico. It's, it's gorgeous, the food is, is phenomenal, um, but, but yeah, and there is a lot of poverty, and, but which is a shame, because if you look at the history of the region, Mixtec señorillos, as they were called by the Spanish when they got here, these like chiefdoms, you know, these were, you've got Teotihuacan in the north with the Aztecs, you've got the Mayans to the, to the east over in the Yucatan, and then you even have like Incas in South America. And they're all trading stuff, you know, and all that stuff is coming through this part of Mexico that, you know, this is getting closer to the isthmus of Tehuantepec, and so everything's narrowing up. And so, so yeah, like a lot of these towns have just been big economic hubs for a long time. In fact, La Mixteca, when the Spanish got there and t took over the economy, they opened up the cochinilla market, the cochineal, the little, the little scale bugs that grow on flat nopal cactuses. And you grind them up and they turn blood red. And so that was a major dye until synthetic dyes in the 19th century. But wow. La Mixteca was the, big, the world's greatest producer, biggest producer of, of cochineal. You know, the Spanish Empire had all those connections and that went all over the world, that red dye. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is that all the, all the, the profits and all that stuff went to the Spanish Empire and not La Mixteca. Well, I think that's really interesting because the story actually that we were covering yesterday was obviously chocolate also comes from this region, doesn't it? Like the cacao beans are not grown here, but the Mixtecas were experts in turning that into chocolate. But the, the story we were covering yesterday was from a small chocolate company that has been founded up in the Mixteca, which is literally commercializing these ancient traditions. So these people, this small company called Oaxacanita has given jobs to 12 local women who normally would be waiting on a wedding or a funeral in order to prepare this chocolate because culturally for them it's like champagne for Europeans or Americans perhaps you know you, you drink chocolate on special occasions and therefore taking this tradition and turning it into a commercial operation it's almost exactly what the Spanish did and it's almost you know a shame that the, these same people haven't been able to uh, to turn their own traditions into something which could be perhaps wider, more more widely appreciated and, and turned into a business. Well, anything that brings these people money, I am fine with as long as it's not hurting anybody. I'll say that. Um, so I really, you know, my business is tourism here and I don't mind any cheesy tourism, like, you know, as long as nobody's getting hurt and, pe and the money's going to people here, that's fine. But I mean, one thing I love about Oaxaca, in fact, kind of one of these details that I would like to like use to kind of introduce the place is that it, the place has one of the one of the parts of this magic that that people talk about with Oaxaca that I include in that magic in my definition of it is that you can drink hot chocolate any time of year, any any day here. Um, it's just served everywhere in, in all the comedores all the time. And so maybe, I don't know, I wasn't there when he was telling you about that. Maybe it's a certain recipe, that specific recipe that they're making, which was delicious, by the way. Oaxacanita was phenomenal chocolate. There is, there is that kind of like fine line with like selling culture and, you know, what does that turn it into? Yeah. But, but from what I've seen with like other, other industries and tourism industries in Oaxaca, like they're good at holding on to that yeah. um, and not really like, you know, letting 
letting any sort of like mass production take over and that's really what a lot of people want you know they well, is want... it a place which is so <clears throat> proud of its own traditions isn't mm -hmm. it yeah if there's one thing Oaxacans love more than like usos y costumbres or customs traditions and all that it's celebrating them so like <laughs> they just love a good party and they love having a good reason to party like now festivals popping up for everything this this empanada festival over here and this chocolate festival over here and these yeah. people do tasajo a certain way over there and they're like la primera fe feria de blah 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 you know i saw a bunch of first first festivals of this so i mean oh, wow. they just love to love to celebrate and so what kind of crazy festivals were you getting into on your time going around i showed up for a lot of like fiestas patronales like patron saints festivals the Tejate Festival. Tejate is a pre-Hispanic uh, drink, chocolate-flavored drink, but it's mostly made with the the seed, the big seed of a fruit called mame, and chocolate and other nuts, and then a flower that's ground up. Flower is called flor de cacao, even though it's not the, from the cacao plant, and it's delicious. It looks kind of strange at first. The the flowers end up coming up to the top and creating this foam that. You know, some people think looks weird when you try it it's delicious and, and I mean that's another thing about Oaxaca is that you will not find Tejate outside of the Valle Centrales area these central valleys here yeah. it's impossible to make down on the coast like the the climate is part of the recipe here if you don't have yeah. the certain humidity and and the general humidity and temperature of, of these like high deserts and, and foothills and stuff it's just not gonna the stuff's not gonna float to the top isn't it it's a place which sort of inspires a lot of imagination isn't it yeah yeah and i i mean the, the people themselves just have such a, a wild imagination they're just such creative people like i mean you saw with jose garcia today you know so just for audiences listening we should explain that jose garcia is a ceramics sculptor an artist who had dedicated his life to sculpture and ceramics all out of clay but at the age of 55, he lost his vision to glaucoma and decided to continue. And now, some 15 years later, says that in fact he actually makes better sculpture these days because he now sees with his hands and he can paint from his own imagination and visions of the things which he knew and from Oaxaca and his own life, his own rural life when he did have his sight. And he was a, he's an inspiring chap, isn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, it really was. I, yeah, I liked what he was saying. He's like, it, I, I recorded all the all the visions of the, all the, the images of things in my head. And of course, one thing that really made us laugh was the fact that his wife, her name is Santa Reina Mendoza, but he calls his own wife Santa Reina Princesa Marigold Pechos de Oro, which means Santa Reina Princess Marigold Golden Tits. <laughs> 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 and he tells us with it. Well, she's right there. She's right there. And she's smiling away. <laughs> and about it. But yeah, it is a it is a place of of mysticism and magic, Oaxaca, isn't it? Well, you've travelled the whole state. What is it about this place that makes it so sort of otherworldly? I mean, there are lots of reasons why. I think part of that there's also that a little bit of it that's still inexplicable. That's just might be real magic. You kind of walk around. You're like, no, that's probably real magic around here. But um, but yeah, the word magic is associated with Oaxaca like all the time. Even even other Mexican people will will ah see Oaxaca is magical. One of the first tourist booms in Oaxaca and at the end of the sixties was for the mysticism in the Sierra Mazateca. So that's like 
So the La Mixteca is like in the northwest and extends all the way down to the coast. And then the, there's a big valley that's cool of, full of a bunch of really cool shit. And then on the other side is La Sierra Mazatec in this town, Huautla de Jimenez, where the Mazatec people have, for who knows how long, included psychedelic mushrooms in their spiritual and healing rituals. And, um, and, and so this, um, this banker from the United States who was also like a, I guess, amateur mycologist named Robert Wasson, I think his name was, he, he came down here and this woman, Maria Sabina, included him in, let, let him try these mushrooms and do this ceremony with him. She called him her, her niños sagrados, her holy children, um, the mushrooms. And he promised her he wouldn't tell anybody about it. He promised her he wouldn't let anybody know about her name or where she lives. So he wrote an article for Time magazine and said that she lived in La Mixteca and that her name was Eva Mendez. Um, somehow the hippies found Wautla de Jimenez and kind of, in a way, kind of, they, it, it caused problems in Wautla. Um, too many of them came. They didn't have the infrastructure for so many people to be coming, for one thing. Um, you know, from, from Maria Sabina and other people's perspectives in the town, they were misusing the mushrooms and doing them more for fun than for any sort of like healing or, or you know, connecting to, to mm -hmm. God. Um, and, and ended up, federal government came in and shut the whole thing down and actually barricaded the town for a while and wouldn't let outsiders in. And Maria Sabina, I believe her house was burned down and things like that, and her son was murdered or something. One of her family members was murdered, and the town kind of turned on her. And so, the, you know, this um, town wasn't ready for the tourism, and and um, but now it loves it. You know, it's really like the only thing drawing it. But but yeah, and you can you can do these. It's just really the reason I can't really like describe it. I, I did a ceremony with a with a curandera there with a shaman woman and and, and yeah it was it was a mystical experience I will, I will say that so that and and yeah I would believe I would say in my own weird way some magic happened sure from that well, it's a really interesting point that you bring up is that <clears throat> you've written a travel guide to Oaxaca and obviously there is serious infrastructure in certain parts of Oaxaca to receive tourism but just how much does Oaxaca want all these tourists who are coming every year? I mean, you can go around and, and certain very politically active people will put, will, you know, graffiti on the walls, fuera turistas, stuff like that. But that's, but not overall people, people want tourism. They know that it can, can bring them more economic opportunities. Um, they just really and generally like meeting new people. They're just yeah. super nice people. Yeah. They love, sh I mean, like, like we were talking about, they love their culture, they love celebrating it, and they love sharing it. They like showing it off. And Absolutely. They, I mean, they're in their right. It's, it's awesome. Like, yeah. it's a ton of fun. So, like, um, so I think in general, yes, um, the state does does want tourism. And, and, it, and you know, that, that one in Huatla de Jimenez was, the town just wasn't ready for it. I mean, it just, yeah. it didn't, but, but other planned areas like, like Huatulco have done tourism in a way that, I mean, they, they appropriated land from people, but created this whole other town that actually I highlight in the book that, cause it's so much fun now and it's almost a, a, a tourist attraction in and of itself, apart from the beaches. And so there are these really good examples of, uh, of, of that. And, um, and so, so yeah, I feel like a lot of these places like Huatla de Jimenez and, 
and and that that valley, the Tehuacan Cuicatlan Valley, it's, it's really full of full of cool ecotourism, and there's some uh, infrastructure for it. But there's like I didn't know about it really until I just drove a car through it, and like I was like, what what is this doing? Why haven't I heard of this? And so like there's just these places that need people need to know about. And and once more people start going like there in La Mixteca and things, I feel like they, services would make it easier to get out there. They are more difficult to travel, and sometimes they're weirdly more expensive than the than other places to be traveling because you know you're going to this place where n nobody really goes, like except the the rare tourists. So you got to pay, you know, uh, quite a bit more for a private taxi or something to get out there. And and so yeah, but I think on the whole, the state would want more tourism and. And uh, different types of tourism, too. There's lots sure. of really cool things happening. Well, one really interesting thing that you mentioned happening down at the coast is, you know, where culture and modernization come at loggerheads is when it comes to turtles and their eggs. Isn't mm -hmm. it? These turtles, <clears throat> this is widely covered in the news that these turtles come in from the sea throughout the year. They lay their eggs on the beach and then go back to the ocean. Now, these turtles lay their eggs and, of course, for a primitive culture, a primitive tribe living in that region, of course, that is a good source of protein. You don't particularly have to hunt very hard and you can get a decent meal. And people in this region continue to eat these eggs and have been doing so for thousands and thousands of years. Yet this is now suddenly, according uh, to the federal government, entirely illegal. Yet this practice has been going on far longer than even the federal government in Mexico before its independence, before the Spanish conquest. So how do you think that, you know, this sort of, is, is, it, is it tolerated down on the coast? You, I know you can buy eggs in markets, but how do people go about it? Um, well, I really wouldn't know. I've only seen one stand with a couple bags of, of them in Huchitan. Um, so yeah, I, one night, yeah, it was really late when I got into Huchitan, and so I had to get a, like an Oxo hot dog. Or something and I asked a guy waiting for something else outside like where's you know what what's what's good to eat in, in the restaurants what's traditional like um, East menu food and he's like well traditionally you know we eat sea turtles their eggs armadillos things like the iguanas iguanas um, still very very widely eaten up there. well I've had iguana it's, and, it's the, the 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 reptile itself is pretty bony and, and not very nice but the egg Oh yeah, it's one of the most delicious things I've ever ah, eaten because nice. it's yeah, in this soft egg. shell, huh. and the the yolk is really delicious. I had that in French Guiana. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, I had I had a an iguana egg in a tamal, a tamale, on the coast, and this was before I was told that that they are endangered down there. Um, and yeah, they just chopped a leg, cut like cut a leg off and. Put it in the in the tamal with skin and bones and, and yeah. claws and everything and, and I mean it tastes like chicken and so why not just eat chicken? Um, but no, they also have like criaderos like uh, where they what are like hatcheries, farmed yeah, farmed, yeah. And you can actually go and, and buy buy one and take it home and cook it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I I believe from what I've been told, I haven't like really gone through and read laws or anything. But from what people told me, like basically. Because, I mean, there are some really poor people down there, too, and, and they yeah. still do subsistence gathering of those eggs and stuff. Um, and then from other stories I heard, a lot of people just, like, eating a whole bunch when they party for three days straight, you know, in those 
velas in the Istmo. And um, so it's not like something you can just go to a restaurant, like especially as a tourist, you know, and I, I, I wrote in the book a, a few times, like, you know, I'm not going to tell, I don't, you're not, you shouldn't come looking for it. You know, if I were in somebody's home in a party in a vela or something, they said, you want to try one? I would try it. Um, but yeah, especially sea turtles. They, I, I don't believe, well, no, there is, there's a lot of poaching. In fact, a farmer or a fisherman in Puerto Escondido while I was there said just a week before he had caught um, some, some like dragnet fishermen catching like 500 sea turtles. And it was like, oh my yeah, God. it's rough. So they, it's still done. There was an incident um, when some gorillas from Chiapas, they did some planned attacks all over in parts of Mexico. And they attacked Huatulco in the 90s, I believe. And so the, the, the military that usually watches Playa Escobilla, which is the main nesting site for the Olive, Olive Ridley turtles, they were drawn to Huatulco to fight those guys, and word got out and, pe- and thousands of turtles, turtle eggs and turtles were taken. Um, so yeah, but I mean, it's not, it's not like big business. I don't know. No, it's not big business. It's for not sure. big business. No, I mean if you're, it's, it's like tradition. pirate, pirate fishermen doing it. Yeah, you know. So, and and so yeah, it's it's hard to walk that line because yeah, these people, like you said, they've been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah. I can tell them not to do that anymore, but they didn't have as many people here. Well, it's one of the 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 biggest I think challenges that Mexico has always faced, and not perhaps Oaxaca, but Mexico as a whole, is it's been that. Usos y costumbres, customs versus the law, you know, Mm. and modernization. And you think, you know, Oaxaca, just as you say, is it can be a microcosm and to show what Mexico is like. I think that specific topic is also really problematic here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, big business often just takes advantage of, of of, you know, marginalized people um so so that's yeah that's definitely present in oaxaca places like el istmo you know that are also known for historically as as big commercial areas um with, with lots of economy there the women run the economy and so they 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 do everything in the markets from if their if their husband's a fisherman he gets the fish, but she gets it to market and takes care of all the money and stuff, yeah. and that's their domain. And and then big, but you know we were talking about oil earlier, and and so there's one of the one of Mexico's biggest refineries is in Salina Cruz there on the on the Istmo, and and yeah, the the town did grow, and now it's and then it's I think the third largest city now, and um, but. A lot of that's not going to the people who actually live there, of course. Mm. It's the petroleum industry. Um, I mean, when I was there, there was a knife robbery, knife point robbery right outside my hotel in broad daylight. Um, which can you, that's not a good sign, is it? No, I mean, so there's <laughs> quite, still quite a bit of poverty there. Yeah. And so, yeah, like these, these populations have just been taken advantage of for centuries now. Yeah. Um, so changing topic a bit, because this podcast obviously seeks to talk about not only the topics that correspondents are covering, but the lives that they're living. So talk to me about, a bit about your experiences, you know, what life is like traveling and writing a guidebook. Um, it's, it's one of the, it's, 
it's really a lot of freedom, actually. Um, and it just, it, you feel like you can, well, I mean, I'm in love with this place. So I'm just like in, in heaven being able to like get paid and go around and just like meet all these wonderful people and eat all this delicious food. And, and so, yeah, but it, it just, there's just a lot of freedom, you know, and I do these things where I've, I've been coming here and going around and getting information and doing stuff. And then I go back to Mexico City and write it all up what I've been doing and so I go and I sit on my butt for like two weeks and I come back and I just walk around and I just get like you know like in Tamasulapan yesterday like I was walking back from the Balneario and just like just like oh yeah I love this man it's just yeah. um, it's it's really stressful the, the job is really stressful um, uh, but I, you know it's it's been one of the best experiences of my life and um, it's just amazing that there's been times when I'm just super excited and people that just tug my heartstrings and I got little tears coming out and just like just lots of awe like simple awe once you like once you go and and learn where these products come from where where these traditions and and, and techniques to make all these cool things comes from you have this like deeper appreciation for for the work that goes into this stuff and and so like even I, I would like to not even call it artisan stuff you know sometimes it's like it's more like communal art it's not yeah. it's not the, the the you know i guess you'd call it european definition of high art where like one artist is the is the focus and stuff like that is like one community is the focus wow. and 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 so like so the whole town has made this tradition that comes out and and it's it's just amazing and you you so like for the, for example, the when I kind of get this weird feeling where I almost like kind of started tearing up last time I went to Teotitlan del Valle, which is like it sounds cheesy and lame saying it out loud. It's, I was all I was doing was just like looking at the at the uh, tapetes, the the rugs they make, but I was thinking about what all the people showed me of like how they make the dyes and and where the wool comes from and how long it takes to weave the damn yeah. things, you know, and so you know like. It, it's, it makes traveling here more fair for the people here as well when you know that because they're expensive, you know, yeah. they, can, they can be expensive. You look and like, whoa, $200 for a, for a mat, you know, like that probably took three, four months to make, you know, yeah. so. This is one of the things that is with Mexico, places like Cancun and, and Los Cabos, it's so easy to come to Mexico, you know, pay less for a hotel get drunk on the beach and, you know, not not really get involved in it, you know. Like, I've, I've got friends back home in, in, in England who tell me, oh, yeah, I've been to Mexico. I, I was in Cancun two years ago. And I think, well, yeah, technically you've geographically you been in Mexico, <laughs> but how many Mexicans did you actually meet? Yeah. So I suppose the sort of work you're doing is, <coughs> is, is doing the hard work for people who want that cultural experience and want really to not... But, I mean... Even as tourism, you know, going down for a cultural experience is is something which it's it's sort of a, a platitude these days. It's a phrase that doesn't really mean anything because it's been so overused. Yeah. You know, you can go to, you know, like say, you know, one of those sushi bars where they cook it in front of you and do all those tricks mm -hmm. with the knives and say, yeah, that's a cultural experience, but it's also a manufactured experience. But you're doing the hard work for them by telling them. You know, if if you're into this, you should go and you know, you, these are the places that you have to see if you want to understand, if you want to better understand this place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I mean that's that's one of the things that like exemplifies how 
you know, amazing Oaxaca is, is that it, it, it really can break through the, the cliche use of that word cultural experience and be a true, real, like when you're, the people really want when they say that word. It's a living place, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, every, all these like these traditions are all alive and still happening, and you know, like in Teotitlan del Valle, they're they're like there's this one artist or one weaver who's starting to like weave three dimensional images into his mats, into his rugs, you know, and so these things just keep keep happening. So it's not like, you know, like it's it's not like a lot of these things are a lot of these things are driven by tourism. Um, but there's a realness to it, and 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 you can feel it and see it, and um, and, and t- like talk about when you're talking about like other parts of Mexico, which I mean I still love Cancun for what it is, but um, you know, part of the way through this job, I was walking and just walking around and thinking, and I was just like, how amazing is it that this place is my subject? I think about all the places I've been and all the reasons people go to those places. Um, you know, Thailand's gorgeous and Thai people are awesome and the Thai food's amazing, but the big shame is that sex tourism is, is big. And, and, yeah. and a lot of these places, that's why people go, or they go f- for drugs or they go for things like that. And that's not why people come to Oaxaca. They are not looking for cheap drugs. They're not looking for big club parties and they're not looking to get fucked up and they're not looking down to do creepy things, stuff like that. You know, even there's, there people do, okay, I mean, that's the fun thing is like people do come to do drugs, but it's not this like crazy mess of a situation. Like, like the, the towns that have those mushrooms are like, it's, it's federally illegal, but it's tolerated there because it's part of the culture and everyone does it in a, in, in like a, a sensible way. They don't, you know, they're not exporting mushrooms. You have to come there and do the mushrooms and preferably do it, you know, respectably with, um, you know, according to their, how they prefer you to do it there and things like that. But, um, and, and then there's alcohol, but it's not like, but people come down to like taste mezcal and to learn about it now. You know, like you go to these mezcalerias, there's tons of mezcalerias here, these mezcal bars. And the draw is, they're, for one thing, they're tiny. Some of them fit 10 to 12 people. And the, the, the guy who makes the mezcal will stand there and, or, or co- who collects the mezcal or whatever, will stand there and just tell you about them all, you know? Yeah. And so it's not like, come down and get fucked up. It's like, come down, learn. You get a little drunk. You'll probably get drunk. People, you know, it is mezcal. Yeah. But, the, but <laughs> you sip it. You know, that, that's the point. It's not, you don't shoot it. Like they will say, don't shoot it, sip it. It'll teach you how to drink. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's like this, like, come down, have fun in moderation, you know, make, and make sure everybody's all good, you know? Like, that's, that's kind of like the Oaxacan thing. The word gelaguetza means mutual cooperation, just like, you know, and, and we're, we've been talking about how difficult it is to turn down a, a nice offer from people here, you know? And, yeah. and you know, the password at our hotel in Oaxacan was, was friend, friendliness, amabilidad, <laughs> <laughs> and like that thing that, that we read, that I read in that restaurant in Nochixlan was like, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be important, but it's really important to be nice. <laughs> you know? So I think, you know, you can sum Oaxaca up like that, that it is a place where you come down for a good time, but you've got to respect it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like that, that people should have that attitude anywhere they go in the world. I don't think they do uh, though. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people don't. I mean, even when I first started traveling, I didn't either. I was just a drunken mess. But 
Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think there there are a lot of ways that that people could be more respectful when they travel down here, especially. Um, and a lot of it's just like because you know there are things that people have never dealt with. You know, if they're coming from primarily living in the United States, things like that, like really poor people having to, you know, having to sell gum on the streets. And there's a lot of them, and they they ask you many times, you know, in the centro, walking around. And people get real frustrated, and, and, you know, um, certain certain types of people who like to come down here and retire, I've seen a lot of just, like, hand-waving people away. And, and, and I don't know, there's, there might be some rudeness in that, but there's also just, like, I, people don't know how to react to it. I've seen, I kind of, like, noticed how my Mexican friends would react to that and stuff. And, and you just be polite, smile, say, no, gracias, yeah. you know? Um, one thing about, like, in Oaxaca, people don't hassle you so much as in, in other touristy beach towns, you know, like Puerto Vallarta, you know, people, sometimes people won't let you go, yeah. you know? And so, but you just... Be respectful. Be respectful of people. Just really appreciate the fact that that you don't have to sell gum on the street to feed your kids or something. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. And 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 it's really, in in fact, it's easier to smile and say no than it is to wave your hand, in my opinion. So like, um, so yeah. And and as we've seen, like with that with that Wild Leather Jimenez story and how I mean the way the, that those Alvin might might get call me out on scenes but you know a lot of those hippies that went down didn't do it very respectfully yeah. and it had very dire I mean people died people yeah. died and people people got hurt so um, I think Oaxaca can be a good example for other places on on both how to run tourism and how to be a tourist in other places Cody Copeland thank you very much for coming on episode two of The Correspondence. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was fun. Top man. (laughs)